learned this song, Jehovah Jireh, that if you were in the evangelical church in the 1970s, you learned this song. It rises up from the very text of our scripture today, from Philippians 4.19, one of the verses that our children memorized this week. And so uh, we're going to sing this through three times, and I hope you learn it, and I hope it gets inside your head, and even more, that it gets inside your heart, and you come away today with this sense of faith that the Lord will provide for you, will care for you, will strengthen you through every circumstance that you face. So, Tony, we're turning it over to you. Uh, You all who've learned it, sing it out, and um, we'll get it. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. He will give His angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me. My God shall supply all my needs according to His Sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He will give his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh cares for All right. Thank you. The name of God, Jehovah Jireh, it comes from the book of Genesis when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son. And at that last moment, you recall, God sees the need and provides the lamb. And we are told Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, the God who sees and provides. And of all the great names of God as he has made himself known, isn't that one of our favorites? God sees and God provides. And I think that's a good song for us to add to our repertoire as we train ourselves in faith On the back of your sermon outline this morning is our text for the Scriptures. And Paul is reflecting on the blessings in his life 
And beginning in verse 10, we read, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And now the verse that our children memorized. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This song that we sang, Jehovah Jireh, it is a song of contentment. It is a song of strength. It is a song of someone who is certain that God will take care of them. Whatever circumstances they face, they know that God will care for them. Have you learned how to sing this song? I'm not talking about uh, whether you're like Celine Dion or Elvis Presley or however you like to sing. I'm saying, have you learned how to sing this song in your heart? In this church, we want to be people who can do that, you know. We want to be men and women and children, teenagers, old and young, who have learned how to say, God, I believe in you today, and my soul is satisfied in you today. I'm at rest. I'm at peace. And I know you're going to give me strength to face whatever I have to face. And I know, Lord that you will provide for what I need every day of my life. That's the song. That's the song of faith. It needs to be massaged into our hearts, you see. And in Vacation Bible School this week, what we did was we set out to train each other, to train our children and our teenagers in faith. Because our faith needs training. I don't know if you know that. Your faith needs training. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, and Nina and I have a a book of daily C.S. Lewis readings that we've been able to read through over the course of the year. And one of them this week uh, that I read, Lewis says, Faith 
is the art of holding to holding on to things that your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Faith is the art of holding on to what your reason has accepted, what your mind now believes to be true, in spite of your changing moods. And here he's talking about emotions. I guess Lewis writing in the 1950s. He's, he says this, Whatever your convictions are, there's something inside of you that incites doubt, that incites resistance to what you know to be true. And he says, I'll just keep quoting, for moods will change. Lewis confesses, I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But... When I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. This rebellion in your moods against your real self is going to come anyway, he says. Whether you're an atheist or a Christian, he says, it it just might be, he, he calls it your digestion or the weather, something upsets you. And now you're not so sure of your basic convictions from time to time. And that's why Lewis says we need to train our faith. The scripture memory, the singing of the songs, the coming to church week in and week out, the being at prayer meeting or in a small fellowship group. We need to train ourselves or, Lewis says, you will drift Has anyone here ever experienced drifting in their faith? You will drift. Lewis says this, I'll finish this. It was a long quote, but he says, As a matter of fact, if you examine 100 people who have supposedly lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? And I think he's right. And so this passage at the end of Philippians is one that is encouraging the church at Philippi to train themselves in their faith. And Paul is even modeling it for them. And I just have three simple points in your outline. You can see them there. The first is that God will teach you the secret of contentment. And then God will give you strength through Christ. And number three, God will give you what you need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And if we learn these things, We will sing Jehovah Jireh in our hearts every day. Point number one, God will teach you the secret of a contented heart. Down in verse 12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the first lesson to strengthen our faith today. 
It's the secret of contentment. The opposite of contentment, of course, is being discontent or dissatisfied. And, and in your life, when does that discontentment happen? I'll tell you when it happens in my life. It happens when my desires overpower my satisfaction in God. We have many desires. Discontent happens when those desires overpower my satisfaction in God. So somebody says to themselves, well, does that mean that God doesn't want us to have desires? That we should get to the state of having no desires, not, no passions within, not affected by anything from the outside? No. That's Buddhism. That's what Buddhism teaches. Buddhism teaches, this is the religion that says you somehow eliminate all your desires internally and you discipline yourself so that you have no attraction at all to the world on the outside and then eventually you reach the state of nirvana. Well, that's what Buddhism teaches, but that's not Christianity. When God calls you to contentment, He does not intend you to overcome all these desires. Instead, he, he says you need to get them in priority or you need to arrange them in your soul so that they are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so on Friday, I was with the teenagers at the sports camp and we had over 20 of them seated in the gold down there and I brought out what you're familiar with, my trusty bicycle wheel. And every six months, I bring this out in church and I remind all of us and I especially remind myself that your life is like this bicycle wheel, and each spoke on the wheel, some of you say, represents my life. Here's how some of you look at it. You say, this spoke is my job, and this spoke is my, these are my finances. This spoke is my hobby. This spoke is my religion. This spoke is my sexuality. This spoke are my relationships with my family or people of the opposite sex. Uh, this, this spoke are my hobbies. And you see, in, and this is my life, well-ordered life on my wheel of my life. But you know, if you've been half awake a third of the time here, that when I said this spoke is your religion, that Jesus Christ says no. I will not be the spoke on the wheel of anybody's life. Jesus Christ says I will be the hub of the wheel of your life. And as the hub of the wheel of your life, I will then redeem and bless and help you live out all the other spokes on the wheel of your life. I mean, we all have baggage. Who doesn't have baggage in their life? We all have struggles in our lives. And what Jesus Christ does is he assumes the central place. Some call it the throne of your life, he, in your heart, and he, for your own good and for your own blessing and welfare, he reorders and realigns every spoke on the wheel of your life. And each of those spokes has lots of desires, you see, in, at, at job and in my sexuality and regarding money, and you've, you're a cauldron of desires boiling, but Jesus Christ, if he is at the hub... He helps you have them in proportion 
and under his lordship and live it according to his word. And, and the teenagers got it. It made sense to them. Does this make sense to you? Paul says, I have learned the secret. What's the secret? It's at the beginning of verse 13. I can do all things through him. You see. And so Paul is asserting that he, that he, him, Jesus Christ is at the hub of the wheel of his life. And he can do all things. Now you go a little deeper here. Paul says he's learned the secret, whether he has a little bit or a lot. Isn't that interesting? So some people, apparently not everybody, has an equal amount of everything. Some, some people are blessed with a little bit, and some people are blessed with a lot. When you have a lot, why would that be difficult, or why would that be dangerous? Why, after all, if somebody has a lot of, say, material possessions, don't you think they would just walk around all day giving thanks and praise to God for His goodness to them. And isn't every wealthy person that you know just overflowing with praise to the Lord Jesus for the the grace that He showered upon them and for the the benefits that they've had and the generous generosity that they're able to show? Isn't every wealthy person or somebody who has a lot, aren't they just like that, full of gratitude and praise to God? The Bible says to the contrary. The Bible says in so many places, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The Bible says if you do have a lot, guard your soul because you will forget God and you will congratulate yourself for being just so wonderful. But Paul says, no, I've learned a secret The secret, when I have a lot, is to have a relationship with the Lord where I am thankful, where I am grateful, where I acknowledge what the Bible says, that what do I have that I did not receive? Even the big sale I made that came with that lovely commission, even that came from the Lord. What do you have that you did not receive? And so he says, I learned how to have a lot through, through him. But what about when you have a little? Maybe some more of us can relate to having a little. But why would that be dangerous or difficult? After all, don't you assume and haven't you seen that every person who feels impoverished or who feels like they don't have enough, that they spend their time seeking the face of the Lord and crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to get by. And, and I'm trusting you, Lord. Everybody who's poor... Have they, don't they just obviously turn to their creator with open hands and honest hearts and say, I need you and I love you and I trust you? You're not all nodding your heads. No, because what happens so often when we have little, when we feel underprovided for, is we become bitter and we become anxious. And we don't trust God. I thought he loved me, but he hasn't given me everything I think I need. And then a whining spirit comes inside of us. Then a complaining spirit comes up. But Paul says, no, I've learned even when I have a little, I've learned to trust the Lord. I've learned to say, Lord, my hands are open and I will live and walk forward in your providence as you call me to live. He learned the secret 
So maybe somebody's here today thinking, let me get this straight, Pastor. If I seek God first, if I learn how to enjoy God, have Him the hub of the wheel of my life, I'm going to have such delight and satisfaction in my relationship with God that even if He gives someone else more than me, I'm going to be content. That's right. That's what I'm promising you today. That's the testimony of the Bible from beginning to end, and it's true. That's the secret of contentment. Now, I don't have this down perfectly. If you think I'm suggesting that I I never worry or I never covet or I never struggle, that's just not true. But I have a wife who points me to Christ continually. And I have an assistant pastor on this staff. And I have a church administrator on this staff who constantly point me to Christ. And I have Facebook friends. And they constantly point me to Christ. And the worry, when that happens, and the worry begins to evaporate. And the confidence comes back because Jesus has come back to the hub of the wheel of my life. And I say, Lord, I am content and at peace. Could we all say, Lord, train us in this? Now, the second point is this. It flows right at the end of verse 13. That God will give you strength. I can do everything And by the way, I saw a commercial for Sleepies, you know, the mattress salesman this week, and and, and Sleepies has a new new, uh, motto. It goes like this, everything is possible with a good night's sleep. Well, I think they're stealing that from Philippians 4 some way, because Paul says, I can do everything, not through a good night's sleep, I can do everything through him Who gives me strength? I can do all things? Well, what does that mean? Have you been watching the Olympic trials? These fantastic men and women? Well, here's a promise. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Does that mean that this uh, 55-year-old body with two bad knees can run a sub-four-minute mile in the Olympic trials and go uh, to London in the Olympics? What do you think? (laughs) Not a chance. Not a chance. Maybe I can run a 14-minute mile. What does it mean that God will give me strength for all things? It means that He gives me strength to do what He's calling me to do. When I'm walking in fellowship with the Lord, He's telling me I can face any circumstance, and so can you, by His strength, by the strength that He provides. And the testimony of the Bible in so many verses, I mean, I could just spend an hour with you, 
pouring through the verses of the Bible that teach this. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 59, a passage that I've, I memorized as a young Christian, and it's been so helpful in my life, says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 59. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Where does the strength come from? It's in the Lord. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. And what we're learning here is that the same person who gives you contentment gives you strength. Do you believe that? Do you believe that today? Martin and the children reminded us this morning, Jesus is alive from the dead. Christianity is not just a religion of ideas. Jesus is alive. He lived in space and time in history, the the God-man, the Son of God. He did die on the cross, and there he substituted himself for sinners like John Yenshko and others here in this room. But death could not hold him. And he rose from the dead, triumphant. He ascended into heaven, as we said in the Apostles' Creed, and he poured out his Holy Spirit onto his church. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, we are told we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of us. Let me tell you what the gospel means for you today. Listen carefully. It means that as you face the difficult circumstances of your life, it's not up to you. It's not. This is good news for you today. And it's not just because you're clever It's not just because you're witty. It's not just because you have an Ivy League education. It's not because you're beautiful or you're handsome or you're strong. It's not because of that that you will succeed in facing your circumstances. The gospel means that you will take your hand and you will place it in the hand of the Lord. And you will say, Lord, there's nothing today that... You and I will face that we can't handle. We will handle it together. Through the strength that you provide. What do you need strength for today? I bet there's someone sitting here that says, I need strength to walk through an illness. I bet there's someone here today that says, I need strength to walk through a personal financial crisis. I know there are people here today who say, I need strength to discipline my children because they wear me out. Maybe someone says, I need strength to be kind to ungrateful people that use me. Somebody says, I know what I need strength for because I'm going home and the laundry is piled this high and the dishes in the sink are piled this high 
And I need strength to get it all done. And maybe there's somebody here today who says, Pastor, this is my secret, but I need strength to face temptation. Because I know that the devil has baited a hook for me. And that, that bait looks so delicious. I don't know which particular expression of temptation you're facing, but the bait has made you salivate. And you say, I need strength to face temptation. Where does the Apostle Paul direct you today? To Christ. I can do all things through Christ, through Him who gives me strength. The old Presbyterian term is the old Reformed theological term is to vital union with Jesus Christ, to a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just about ideas. It is about having a relationship with your Lord and your Savior. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. You need to train yourself naturally to cultivate that relationship with Him. And He is there. He is never absent. He's never the absent one. I told you a few weeks ago about my friend in Philadelphia who called me up, said she had a bellyache. And she went to her doctor thinking she had appendicitis. And remember, she found out that she has stage 4 cancer all through her stomach and colon. This is, this is a remarkable woman, single mother, single woman who adopted a troubled teenage daughter, took her into her home. She's uh, always been physically strong, a remarkable woman. Okay, so she's facing this. And chemotherapy, she says the chemotherapy is horrible. She's in the fifth round of 12 rounds of chemotherapy. And she says, sometimes I feel like I'm going to die from the effects of this chemotherapy. But she said, the Lord is helping me. But John, I called you to pray for me. And this is why I'm telling you this. I called you to pray for me because I, I just found that my daughter is pregnant and the young man is not ready to be a father or a husband. And I need you to point me to Christ. She needs strength. But it gets worse. And then she said, my mother won't talk to me anymore. My mother is so ticked off that I adopted this young woman and she thinks I've ruined my life and she thinks she's ruined my life and so my mother is so judgmental and so angry at me she won't even talk to me. Here's this poor sister in the Lord who needs family strength and her mother won't even come near to help her. Her mother is so self-righteous and so upset. She said, so John, I need Jesus to step in in a special way. Will you pray with me? And I'm, I'm sitting there saying, you have pointed me to Jesus. You have helped me come to the Lord. And I did pray for her and did pray with her and will continue to pray for her. And she says, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you today? That's what she said to me. 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And the training is realized then in verse, eight, verse 19. And Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that's point number three, isn't it? He will meet all your needs. And it's right at this point I will ask you a question. Do you believe what the Apostle Paul says here? Can you trust the Bible? Can you trust Jesus Christ? If you've made him the center, can you trust him? What do you think? Even when you're in a bad mood, as C.S. Lewis says, even when your emotions are screaming at you to the contrary. Well, Jesus said, and we're going to study this in a few weeks because we're back to the Sermon on the Mount next week. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. God feeds the birds of the air, and he makes the lilies of the field grow. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink? Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. See, there's the tie-in, my God will supply all your needs. Jesus says, your Father knows what you need. But, I have to say this, defining needs is not always so easy. Because there are a lot of luxuries that I think are needs. And some of us sitting here today, I wouldn't be fair to you to let you leave today without simply suggesting that some of us have an exaggerated sense of our own needs. If you took the Financial Peace University course with us, with Dave Ramsey, and we offer this, um, and I hope we offer it again soon, this is helping people get out of debt and think biblically about how to live responsibly, it's very helpful. Dave Ramsey, he talks about himself, and he says there is a particular deadly disease called Stuff-itis. You ever heard Dave Ramsey talk about stuff-itis? We Americans like stuff. We have been called a materialistic, self-centered me generation. And Dave Ramsey says, I don't like it when people call me that. Uh, I, I do have to say that I like good cars, expensive food, nice clothes, and big houses. But I'm not materialistic. Uh, well, um, and then Dave Ramsey says, well... Yes, I am. And I have the disease of stuffitis, and it rages in my soul. And the problem, Dave Ramsey says, and the problem the Apostle Paul would say in so many places, and Jesus himself, is that I replace God with stuff. And so we go back to finding the secret of contentment. I must learn the secret of contentment. Jesus, as he talks about how God will give to you, and Paul, as he talks about how God will supply your needs, they both of, both of them say it will be in the context of trusting generosity. And Jesus says, give Give away, and it shall be given to you. Press down, full measure, overflowing. And Paul, in 
on the heels of, of the, on Paul explaining how God will supply all their needs, he says to the Philippian people, but you, you sacrificed for me. You are naturally generous. How do you know if you're content in Christ? How do you know if Christ is strengthening you? The answer is, are you generous? Do you have a generous soul? Do you have a generous hand? The Philippians apparently lived out of this generosity that came from trusting the Lord in the gospel. And then he says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And it's according to his riches, his riches. Does he have any shortage? God has no shortage. Cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. And he supplies it for his glory. So, in conclusion, I don't know your heart, but maybe you're here today and you say, I'm just never content. Or I'm just always feeling so weak. And I'm really anxious about whether or not God will supply my need. And if that's the case, I don't know your heart, but maybe you're not a Christian. I don't know. But you better know that for the last 30 minutes, what I've been saying has only, will only be helpful to Christians. Because my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. And so what you and I, what we must all do is receive him, surrender to him, and allow him, men, women, children, allow him the central place. Because it's all. Contentment is in Christ. Let's go to him. You need contentment? Let's go to Jesus. You need strength today? Let's go to Jesus. You need assurance that he will take care of you? Let's go to Jesus and give him that place on the throne of your life for his glory. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Our Father, please protect me from drifting. Protect us from drifting. And if we've been drifting, help us to say to Pastor Martin or Pastor John or one of the elders, Pastor Tay, help us to say, would you please disciple me in a life of faith? I need to be strengthened and trained. Lord, would you come and take your rightful place on the throne of our lives? Will you give me contentment? Will you give me strength? Will you give me assurance that you will take care of me? My wife, my family, my children, my husband, my friends. We trust you now. In Jesus' name, amen.